Hi, I'm Martin Sanders. Thanks for joining the How About Boat podcast. Me and my co-hosts, Brian Jackson and Harry Sherman, created this podcast with two aims. One, inform you about the voting rules, ballot deadlines, and early voting in your state. Two, to engage you and others in the conversations we typically have about politics and policy. So, how about vote? Let's get started. How about Nevada Vote? In Nevada, you can register to vote online, by mail, or in person. The online deadline for registration is October 29th. And you need a driver's license. The by mail registration deadline is October 6th, and the in person registration deadline is October 6th. You can also register and vote on election day. Same day voter registration is also available at any in person polling place during a 14 day early voting period, which runs from Saturday, October 17th to Friday, October 30th. Speaking of early voting, again, you can early vote in Nevada from Saturday, October 17th to Friday, October 30th. If you have an absentee ballot, you need to make sure that you return it postmarked by November 3rd, uh, or you can return it in person on November 3rd by 7 p.m. So how about Nevada vote? All right. Uh, thanks for joining us this week and welcome to another episode of How About Vote. I'm Harry Sherman. I'm Brian Jackson. And I'm Martin Sanders. And uh, we are lucky that we have a guest with us today. Um, we lost an episode last time where I talked about my wife, Sarah Corteau, who has inspired me by her engagement in politics at the ground level and uh she was instrumental in the election of state assembly person uh, when we lived in Connecticut, and she is here this week because of our content, so I'll step aside and let her introduce herself. Hi, I'm Sarah, and I'm really happy to be here. I've been impressed with the conversations that are happening, and I'll just try to keep up with you guys. Finally, we bring some intelligence to this conversation. <laughs> And uh, why it's uh, important to have Sarah with us is uh, because we're going to be talking about the uh, passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and uh, her impact, her legacy. And Jackson had the great idea that we maybe needed a different voice for this conversation. Yeah, this is a great conversation to really just do a lot of listening because I, I just really want to get a, a woman's point of view on the impact of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the role that she played in uh, fighting for women's rights. Yeah. And I am really interested to hear what Sarah has to say um, on RBG and, uh, and and just this entire conversation, because uh, RBG is such a huge figure uh, in, uh, in our country and in the law and uh, in the fight for equality. So I will be in listening mode as well. Uh, and I'm eager to learn. So uh, stick around. It's going to be a good episode. We're going to get uh, a lot of Sarah's perspective and also talk some about the political impact and uh, what the fallout is going to be, possible impact on voting, elections, and so on. So stick around for another scintillating episode of How About Vote. I do think that I was born under a very bright storm. I, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, do solemnly swear 
that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Uh, we are back and uh, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, we have Sarah here with us and Sarah, I just want to get your understanding and of, of our beat of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and what she meant to you and what do you think she meant to, to our country? I'm happy to speak about that. I'm, I think it's, it's fantastic that she became in her later years, this sort of cultural icon and there are the memes and tote bags and Bader Ginsburg dolls, not to mention the documentaries, the movies, the biographies. I don't have a Ruth Bader Ginsburg doll and uh, or any of the other paraphernalia. And I think I'm uh, there. Are, while I was really happy to see her catch fire like that, I think that there are probably a lot of women like me who were just quietly glad to know that she was in our corner. I mean, the knowledge that this woman had gone through everything that she had been through to not only just to ascend to the court, but then what she did while she was there was a sort of, of beacon for me. And, and I think probably for a lot of other women and it's sort of, it, it shouldn't be surprising, um, but it is surprising so just to, to really to feel that loss. And this just isn't what our country needs right now. I don't know how we're going to be able to absorb this. It remains to be seen. For me personally, also, I would say one of the things I deeply admired about her was her not just surface friendships, but real, really rich friendships with people who were ideologically so different from her. And by all accounts, like her friendship uh, with Justice Scalia was, I mean, they're going to the opera together. They were very close. Uh, Justice Clarence Thomas wrote an incredibly touching tribute to her. Um, after her death, he's someone that can seem pretty darn impassive a lot of the time. And to know that she was able to to touch him like that, I, I that's something that I personally uh, deeply admired about her and would like to try to emulate. That's something that is just so missing in our discourse and in many of our public figures. Yeah, I, I mean... A hundred percent agree. It's interesting to to see a woman who was so small in stature, but so large, larger than life in her fight for uh, for women's rights. And do you think that RBG at her age, at eighty seven, could inspire or did have any pat impact on on little girls? Well, I think having having those kinds of role models for girls is incredibly important and something that maybe we aren't aware of until well, well after the fact, I think that we'll still be assessing Ruth Bader Ginsburg's impact on young girls for at least the next generation and and really probably beyond to be able, I mean, I, I, when I think of little girls, I also think about their mothers. I mean, that's something that their mothers can point out to their daughters. It's a conversation that they can have and fathers too. I don't want to leave them out, 
but and it's it's a point of of entry of discussion and um a, a figure that that because I, well i feel like i'm not being very articulate with this because i think sometimes to to explain to a very small child the significance of a woman who seems like a, an elderly grandmother to them may not be something that they can completely absorb at the time. Sure. But as, as they get older, they're going to be, the world they're going to be living in is going to be one that has been shaped by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I think that's going to be really monumental for a whole generation of women who come after her. I am a Brooklynite, born and bred. I love my job. It's the best and the hardest job that I have ever had. It has kept me going through four cancer bouts. I have to read this set of briefs, go over the draft opinion, and so I have to somehow surmount whatever is going on in my body. Is there a particular uh, decision or dissent or quote or moment um, in her legacy that uh, stands out to you um, besides just sort of the, the broad, larger than life defender of access and rights and, and, and all that she represented? I think the fact that she, I mean, she came before the court, I I want to they say it was like five different times before she ascended to the court. And I believe that she won four out of those five cases um, having to do various aspects of women's rights, including equal access to mortgages. And that may seem really unsexy. It may not, it may seem odd that that's a, a decision that stands out to me, but that is just the kind of thing that can be overlooked when it comes to equality and equal access. And the fact that that was the kind of thing that she was willing to argue for so fiercely is really meaningful to me. I, I also just want to point out, knowing this personally, that um, one of the proudest accomplishments uh, that you have pointed to over and over was buying a house uh, in, in D.C. and <laughs> scraping together the down payment and being able to pull off the get the mortgage and everything so right. and that like that's uh that's rbg's legacy at work in one of your own proudest moments absolutely i remember i bought a small row house in in washington dc when i was in my early 30s as a single woman um which felt uh, a little bit scary to me but also uh really empowering and i think I, I mean, I can't even believe this now. I, I think at the time I was in, if it was like, yeah, it was an FHA loan. And I had a, literally a few hundred dollars in my savings account when I first decided to try to, to make this little deal work. And the idea that RBG was a little angel in the background there uh, is, is pretty awesome. Because I'm a public figure, I could help make things a little better for people who are in my situation. Fight for the things that you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. And there's no doubt that 
she was our our BG was the heart and soul of the Supreme Court, and it's just few others. I mean, no, it, let me just be honest. It's just one other person um, between her and Thurgood Marshall that really brought that that lens of equality and equity um, to the Supreme Court, uh, and she was generational. Right? Yeah. She's eighty seven years old, and you know she was admired and by people from her generation. Um, and she was also admired from, from very young people, young um, girls, young women um, who idolized her and idolized her story and her struggle. So Sarah, yes. what do you believe will be her lasting legacy? Well, I, I mean, I think we're already seeing it. I mean, she has already made such a huge difference to women, not only in their in their lives because of, of legal rights that they have now, but in terms of what they think is possible, I she set a really high bar for, I think for future Supreme Court justices of both genders, but it's hard not to believe that even a very conservative female justice ascending to the Supreme Court isn't thinking in the back of her mind about RBG's legacy and how she can conduct herself as well as that woman did. My uh, favorite RBG quote is she was asked, like, when will there be enough women on the court? And she said, when there are nine. Absolutely. And she said, you know, people are surprised when I say that, but for, I, I forget what she said, but basically forever, it was, it was always nine men. So why shouldn't it be nine women? And uh, I, I really agree with that. And one of the things is to, to me is just this idea that like, oh, this is, this is a woman's seat, right? Like I, yeah, I think you have to replace RBG with a women, woman, even if the woman is not going to carry forward her politics, but I think this idea that seats are sort of circled also holds back the idea that any woman can take any seat on the court. And I would definitely like to see more of that. Yeah. I think one of the things that, that really impresses me about, and what makes me think of this is just thinking about RBG's struggle, as you were describing it, Jackson, like that, they were just as far as I could see, there was not a really any self pity that she expressed. I mean, and there she had plenty of reason to feel injury. She was in, better than her husband. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and, she, and she had to follow her husband around. I know, and but it, and I, but I think that's one of the reasons that she was so effective. It's not that she didn't have a right to have had some of those feelings and who knows what she ha felt like in her private heart, but she was so effective because she just kept moving ahead. I, I, I think that, you know, when that comment that uh, Jackson, that you made about that she was better than her husband, but she had to follow him around. Uh, and then Sarah, your follow-up to that, it just makes me think how many women 
through through history had been erased because they were women, like their talent wasn't recognized, their contribution wasn't properly attributed to them um, because they were sidelined. And I'm just, I, I guess that, you know, obviously we're not all the way there to full equality, but I'm glad that we've made enough progress that um, hopefully more women are not being erased from history because they have to follow their husband or their talents aren't being recognized and um, or because a man takes credit for their work. I, I read an yeah. article not too long ago, actually about the history of the rape kit and about a woman who really helped to develop it. Yet the person who until recently has really been credited with it is a male police officer who kind of overshadowed what she had done and, and took the credit and, and just, I can't think of a more sort of, women centric project than a and then a rape kit and and even there that men are sort of bigfooting women um yeah it's i it's time for a change <laughs> so oh, can i ask so can i ask the question of um to sarah so what do you think that this means for women's rights going forward you asked me to look into a crystal ball and we have the immediate political events that are unfolding. And unless something really surprising happens, there are the votes to confirm Amy Coney Barrett, who by all accounts is a formidable intellect, uh, but holds very different uh, and deeply held ideological beliefs. Um, that are likely to result in some decisions that are going to affect millions and millions of people, the same vulnerable people that RBG spent her life defending. So I think that there's going to be, I, I think there's very likely that there is going to be some loss we've already seen in terms of, of women's reproductive rights and in terms of some um, aspects of the Affordable Care Act, which are the, the two biggest media items on the table. I think what we're really looking at is just a long, hard fight. And, and um, there's going to be years of battle in the courts. For instance, if we were looking at Roe v. Wade and abortion rights being um, thrown back to the states, it's going to be like a state by state battle um, until, or, until or unless Congress can get its act together and, and pass some landmark legislation. And that's, you want to talk about a long arc, that's going to be a while. So Sarah, any uh, final thoughts on RBG, her legacy, and uh, what she's meant to you and women? I think there's some people who become these giant figures in history, and you you don't maybe realize at the time the impact they're going to have. I think a lot of us are aware that we that RBG is a figure of historical proportions and we've had the privilege to live while, while she's on the court and um, see her in action and that's something that I think so many millions of us are going to treasure for the rest of our lives aside from all of her landmark accomplishments we've we've been living with this giant of American history. 
How about Minnesota Vote? In Minnesota, you can register to vote online, by mail, or in person. The online and by mail registration deadlines are October 13th, and the in-person deadline is November 3rd. In fact, in Minnesota, you can register to vote and vote on Election Day. To register to vote in Minnesota, you need a driver's license, a state ID, or the last four of your social. So if you don't have an ID, that's fine. You just need to make sure you have the last four of your social security number. Absentee ballot deadlines in Minnesota, you need to request it by November 2nd, and it needs to be returned and postmarked by November 3rd. Again, you have to return it in person by 3 p.m. on November 3rd. Early voting has already started in Minnesota. Early voting runs from September 18th to November 2nd. The hours and dates may vary based on where you live. So if you haven't already cast your vote in Minnesota, please go out and do it now. How about Minnesota vote? So on to the politics segment of it. And um, before I start with the politics segment, I just want to read a tweet. And um, I wish I could give credit to the person who wrote the tweet. But, you know, the Internet and things, you know, you, you forget the names. And so the tweet goes, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is going to be replaced by a woman who walked through every door that Ginsburg opened for her so she can promptly, promptly use her position to shut them off for others behind her. Wow. 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 That's, yeah. I, I literally have chills from from that quote because that is that is powerful, powerful imagery. So I'm, here's the thing. I'm going to try to be measured, but also say what I really feel. And to the listeners, you should know that every show that we record, however passionate I sound, there's a whole lot of passionate that you don't get to hear because it's not suitable. And because I <laughs> I say some things you that only, go back You only actually get two minutes worth of Harry yeah, Sherman yeah, on yeah. the radio. There's and we like have to cut out about minute. 30 minutes. You don't get to hear the 30 minutes of just me and Sanders saying like, oh, my God. That tweet captures it, captures a lot of my feeling and thought around this. But I just want to talk for a second about, I mentioned before, this idea that like, okay, well, you know, RVG, it's, it's a, this is a woman's seed. And so we're going to give this to a woman. Meanwhile, her legacy is not just as a woman. Her legacy is protecting the rights of women and of all people. And so really to s- sustain her legacy wouldn't be about putting another woman on the court. It would be about putting someone on the court who is respectful of her judicial legacy and the candidate that's about to be seated in this most hypocritical of, of political moves is a candidate who is going to be likely the deciding vote to give states the ability to drastically limit access to abortion and she is going to be the deciding vote that gives states that tries to overturn the Affordable Care Act, which is about creating access to health care for women and for people with pre-existing conditions and for people who are less fortunate. And we see full well that 
the conservative side of the aisle has no interest in replacing that law with a better law. There is no plan. There is no law in place. It is just about tearing down this legacy of access. And just to be clear, Trump picked uh, Judge Amy Conan Barrett uh, to replace RBG. Um, just so that everyone's clear about um the, the potential justice that we're talking about. So the proximity to power does not give up anything, right? So even if they're using the fact that they're replacing a woman with a woman, it doesn't mean anything, right? It, it, and they're just so hypocritical because they understand that this woman is the anti RBG. Like she, she does not hold any of the principles that Ruth Bader Ginsburg stood for. Like she doesn't believe in equal rights. Um, she doesn't def she definitely doesn't believe in healthcare. She trashed Roberts on that. Um, and she definitely is not going to be an advocate for women. Um, she, she's a choice that makes, the Republican Party corporations feel very comfortable with doing the things that they've always wanted to do. Or uh, like, um, what does the slogan make America great again mean? And it means that they want to go back to the 1950s. And she is dead set to help with that. I don't know Judge Barrett, her record or anything that well, um, but I know that she uh, will dramatically change the uh, ideological bend of the of the court. Um, I, guess, I guess my question for you all is, do you think that by nominating uh, such a conservative judge um, that this her nomination will animate uh, Trump's base more um, or will motivate the Democrats to come out more? So I, I actually think that the political fallout of this uh, just and, and I mean, this this isn't like wishful thinking or, or anything like that. I, I, I really have a theory here, which is that the Trump base is already maximized. What the impact of this has the potential to do is to solidify and, and, and make certain that the Senate is going to go to the Democrats. So. So I think what I hear you saying is that you think that uh, uh, Trump's nomination of Judge Beard will have a down ballot effect, but not necessarily an effect at the top of the ticket. Is that right, Sean? Yes. Yeah. Nine one one operator Harris, where is your emergency? I don't, I don't know what's happening. Somebody kicked in the door and shot my girlfriend. Okay, where are you located? I'm at 3003 Springfield Drive, apartment four. 3003 Springfield Drive, apartment number four? Yes. Oh my God. Okay, how old is your girlfriend? She's, she's 26. Bring it. Oh you said 26, God. where was she shot at? I don't know. She's on the grill right now. I don't know. After hearing the evidence from our team of prosecutors, the grand jury voted to return an indictment against Detective Hankinson for three counts of wanton endangerment for wantonly placing 
the three individuals in apartment three in danger. So in talking about the legacy of RBG and in talking about a system that in which she fought for equality, let's talk about a system that says what happened to Breonna Taylor was legal. Let's talk about a system in which no knock warrants is something that can justify the death of a person of a black woman who was in her home sleeping and not a threat to anyone. So I, I'll start this off by um, start off my answer by explaining where I was and where I am now and how I got there. And I, and I thought about this a lot of whether I would share this on the podcast, but it, but I am going to share it because I think it's important to understand why I moved my position. Um, initially, I was in the party of people that obviously thought that uh, Brianna Taylor's death was a tragedy. Um, but I, I thought that when uh, her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, shot at the police um, and he so just to be clear, he fired a shot after they they after they broke the door down. So he fired a shot in self-defense. Uh, he hit a police officer with, well, he shot a police officer. Allegedly. Because um, they don't know where that bullet came from. Okay. So allegedly he shot a police officer, even though he admitted that though, during their the interview, he admitted that he shot at the police. And I think he said that he hit one of them, but allegedly he shot a police officer um, after they broke the door down. And then the police officers returned fire. Originally, I thought that it was like that because the police officers were engaged uh, when they came through the door, that they had a right to fire back. Uh, and I thought that the police officer who was charged, uh, his name was Hankinson, former police officer Hankinson. Uh, I thought that he deserved to get manslaughter because there's no reason why he should have been shooting his gun uh, through a window without knowing you know, where the bullets would land. But... I was watching all the news reports of this and I started to dig into the the facts more and I changed my position because um, one, we know that the the reports indicate that the fatal bullet that hit Breonna Taylor came from Officer Cosgo, Cosgo, if I think that's his name. Uh, and Kenneth Walker had a right. He didn't know who was breaking into his house, so he had a right to shoot. And it was up to the police officers to de-escalate the situation rather than firing 30, 30 shots. And furthermore, uh, and I heard someone say this and it just struck a chord with me. How does someone end up dead in a gunfight and you know where the bullets came from, but there are no charges for the dead person, but there are charges, these stupid charges for the wall going into a wall it's like the wall is more valuable than was more valuable than brianna taylor's life now i'm just like hinkerson he should be charged with manslaughter and the other two officers and i don't know the law well enough to know what they should be charged with but they need something because it doesn't make sense that they barge through the door 
continue to escalate the situation rather than I think their training calls for them to fire two shots, reassess, try to de-escalate. And then if the person or the suspect continues to engage, then they continue to engage. But there was there's no indication that they ever stopped to reassess and try to uh, de-escalate the situation. This is one of those cases that I think that this that the step back is the is the is what casts the most light on the perspective for me, right? So I just think about, first of all, this was a search warrant. This wasn't a ram the door down with gun blazes warrant. This was a search warrant, right? So I think about if a dude in a house in Park Slope was selling cocaine to his neighbors and him and his girlfriend were sleeping in the bedroom and police got a search warrant because, you know, they've been dealing with this guy dealing cocaine to his neighbors. And I think about would they have shown up in the middle of the night and rammed the door down with guns blazing with a search warrant? Or would they shown up in the middle of the day, presented the search warrant, and searched the house? And I'm pretty convinced it's the second one. And the step back for me is you have, there, there's race in the actions, not just after the fact, but before the fact, the whole the whole scenario, right? Like we got these drug dealers, we got this search warrant, we're gonna bust down the door. And Brianna Taylor, the girlfriend, gets shot to death because people are busting down the door in the middle of the night with guns blazing. And she was not even a suspect. That's, right. That's, that's, that's why I keep saying the girlfriend, right? So there's yeah. and by the way, there is some garbage on the internet about Brianna Taylor, right? Because Brianna Taylor's life wasn't perfect because she was mixed up with the drug dealer because she had had a run-in with the law in the past. What part of this means it was okay for her to get shot in the middle of the night? Like what part of that, right? Like you trying to tell me that like lots of people haven't had a run-in with the law in the past. I've, 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 I just want to repeat this idea that like, it's a, it's a fallacy that if you do everything right, you're not going to have a bad run in with the police as a person of color. And also that if you haven't done everything right, well, then that run in with the police is really on you because nobody does everything right. Sure. I just want to correct the record real quick that it was her ex-boyfriend, her current boyfriend at the time, Kenneth Walker, uh, had a legal uh, concealed to carry permit and he was not a suspect either uh in the warrant just to just to make sure good that clar- good clarification thank you because and i also, actually I have and that also the, um the ex-boyfriend was al- already in um custody that's right that's right yeah. my bad right so they already had the guy yeah yeah so then let's just- go over, let's go over the whole problem because this did this case right here just tells you the whole problem with the system you ready here we go Hankerson was already a dirty cop, a uh, bad cop that got removed from another 
um, county, district, whatever, and was and was able to move and become a police officer somewhere else, even though he was a bad police officer in another place right off the bat. Right. And he was the one that was just shooting through a window and he was the only one charged and fired because it was easy to make a bad cop a fall guy in that situation. Right. And in discussing no knock warrants, no knock warrants uh, were basically devised because of the war on drugs, right? So, you know, you don't knock, you just knock down the door, you come in there, guns and blazing, and you look for, um, you know, the trap house, right? But the no-knock warrants, systematically, is a failure, right? There's been times where they've gotten the wrong addresses and barged and bust down people's doors, um, scared people have to death, um, destroyed their property, um, without restitution for those people who no, were victims. none, none, none. They gave, um, and I forget um, which state they they gave a lady a heart attack and she died because they bust open her door and then they just walked down. And was like, oh damn shame that happened. Um, there's been shootouts, right, um, from cops and just like in this case, this isn't the first time that there's been a shootout between a homeowner who's protecting his home who assumes. That someone is coming into their home just um that that's a burglar and, and trying to um attack them and they shoot at the police. And there's been injuries and deaths on both ends where um police officers have been shot and killed or shot um by the homeowners and vice versa. And there have been cases of robberies, right? Burglars using the tactics of the police and no knock warrants as an as an excuse or uh, and as a cover to basically rob a home. So the no knock warrants like that doesn't it doesn't make any sense. It's designed to be able to go after certain homes and in certain neighborhoods and in certain people, certain places. Um, like you said, Chairman, that this wouldn't be they're not doing no knock warrants in Park Slope, right? Yeah. So I, I guess to just kind of sum it up, uh, we just want justice for Breonna Taylor. That's and I think as we're talking about RBG and we're talking about her legacy and we're talking about justice for the underrepresented, uh, to be a woman of color in America is to have dealt with the institutional sexism, to have dealt with the open in-your-face misogyny, to have dealt with the racism and to have survived. And too often when our women of color don't survive, they don't get justice. And RBG was about justice for the underrepresented. She was about justice for the vulnerable who didn't have the voice and making sure that the law protected them. And to fight for her legacy is to go out and vote for candidates who are going to say Breonna Taylor's name, not just at the protest, not just at the march, but in their policy and in their legislative decisions. I couldn't agree more with you, Sherman. Like, it's so important to vote. I mean, get these DAs out of here. Like, they, 
get these senators out of here that think that this is okay to not serve the people, to go against people's will. You know, the people are speaking. The people are talking. People are saying, we don't want you to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We want justice for Breonna Taylor. And we're not getting either one of those things. And and we're not getting them from elective officials who could give a damn about what we want. And so in order to for them to hear us, we have to vote. Well, that does it for this episode of How About Vote. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure that you follow us on all of our social media pages, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and make sure that you like us on wherever you're listening to the podcast. Finally, if you need any information about voting in your state, go to IWillVote.com. They have all of the information you need as far as voting deadlines, how to register, everything you need. IWillVote.com will take care of you. Thanks again for joining us and how about vote?